your Locked On Canadiens, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode 430 of Locked On Canadians. Today's episode is brought to you by Locked On NHL, where you get all of the NHL news you need uh, in about half an hour, and you can find that wherever you find this podcast. My name is Laura Saba. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by the wonderful Scott Matla. And today we are welcoming one of our favorite people to be our guest, and we're going to do kind of a little bit of a roundtable. So first, Scott, how are you? How was your weekend? My weekend was very good. I've had more wine and beer and bourbon than I think I've had in a long time, and I've learned that I am, in fact, 30 years old, and it is too hot to drink wine for two straight days when I am <laughs> that age. So it, it was a very nice weekend away before uh, a final week of moving and everything else. So Well, I can tell you in almost a decade, Scott, one day of drinking is going to be too much for you as I've experienced. I'm hoping I'm still coherent because we do have a special guest, one of our favorite people. Ian Poivre is here. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back. I didn't, I don't partake in the, uh, in the wine or anything like that. I spent today at a flea market here in town with a, uh, like a Tupperware full of lemonade. So that was pretty fun. I think you're the most sensible out of all of us because you're probably the only, the only one who's not melded to the chair right now. <laughs> and since it is summer, there's not a whole lot going on, but we wanted to get, we've got some of our favorite people returning to the show in the next couple of weeks. And we're looking to get lots of guests over the course of the off season. But what we wanted to do is kind of sum up the differences in the Montreal Canadiens from last season to next season and I think we should start with who the Canadians are losing obviously Shea Weber as we know is going to be out for sure and we don't know if it's going to be out just for next year or for the rest of his career they haven't confirmed that yet but all signs are pointing to forever which changes the entire identity of the Montreal Canadiens and uh, not only that, they have lost uh, one of their most important players in Philippe Dano, who uh, was a defensive force in the playoff run. And then they have also lost Corey Perry, which I think was an emotional uh, boost for the Montreal Canadiens throughout the, the season. He was a very, very useful player. And they have some additions, but let's talk about the losses first. And we'll talk about what we expect from the Canadians at the end of the second segment. All right. Biggest loss, obviously, Shea Weber, captain. He sets the tone for the team. He plays the most minutes on the team. Yes, he had slowed down with age and all of those injuries that he's been carrying for years, but it's still a huge hole in the lineup now. Mark Bergen has said since the beginning of all of this injury problem is, you know, you're not replacing him. They've brought in guys to eat minutes. They've brought in Savard. Um, They've brought in, you know, other lower guys in the lineup, but you're never going to fully replace a guy like that. Minutes, presence, uh, just his, the general aura around Shea Weber that we've seen since he he came in. I did think that, you know, I, I was kind of hoping that the team was going to take this, this, the absence of Weber as a chance to sort of retool their defense that, you know, they're built around big, strong, tough guys, like, like Sherratt, like Edmondson, you know, and, and with Sherratt and Edmondson, you definitely still have an element of that. And obviously guys like Dougie Hamilton don't fall into your lap. He has to play where he wants to play. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't show up, but I was kind of hoping they'd add a little more into that dynamic, move more towards the Jeff Petries of the world, you know, guys who can move the puck, guys who can skate. So while it's a loss, 
I see it as an opportunity for them to sort of redefine the way they play defense. Obviously, the same defense coach is coming back in Luke Richardson, but that power play is going to get a new look. It's possible that the penalty kill gets a new look. So we'll see. It's It sucks because I liked watching Shea Weber play, and I know that the guys really liked having him around, but the Canadians can't feel sorry for themselves if they have any chance at making the playoffs in a very, very tough Atlantic division. I was going to say, like, Laura and I talked about it. Like, we looked at what worked in the playoffs with multiple teams, Tampa Bay, even Vegas for a bit. I know Montreal won that series, but having a mobile guy who can eat minutes is an important factor. And you, like you said, you're not going to fully replace Shea Weber. You got to get as close as you can. And I think David Savard eats those defensive zone starts, which is great, but you're missing, you know, the other part of the ice now and everything else that goes along with that is that Weber is still an offensive force when he's, you know, not shooting with three quarters of a hand and, you know, no working legs or anything like that it's a lot to replace and there's a lot that's expected from Jeff Petrie. Dougie Hamilton would have been nice, but this is a chance. And Laura and I have said this a couple of times. Now we're going to see what some of these young guys can do. Uh, a Norlinder, a Romanov, you have guys like Josh Brook and uh, Corey Schooneman, Gianni Fairbrother in the AHL. I'm not going to be shocked if we see a lot of young defensemen getting looks during the preseason and letting guys like Petrie kind of, you know, get a little bit of a break before they start playing 27 minutes a night uh, once the season starts. And in that vein, we've also got another guy who played a lot of minutes and a lot of important minutes for the Canadians, particularly in the playoffs. But over the last few years, he's been, you know, the top line center, and that's Philippe Deneau. And while you can replace offensive game, I think that the defensive aspect is going to be missed. And I, I think that the Canadians don't really realize how much. But at the same time, given the amount of money and term that Philippe Dano wanted, would it have made sense for the Canadians to sign him for that much when they've got other centers coming up in the pipeline and who have already made the team and are expected to make the jump to uh, more important starts? Uh, like, what would you have done? Uh, for me, I feel like it was worth keeping Dano, but not at any cost. I think that term was very long for me. I didn't mind the money, but I did think the term was very long. Yeah, and I mean, you got to remember that's... That's Caulfield money. That's Suzuki money. That's Kotkaniemi money. That last one remains to be seen. We're still waiting for him to be signed. But that's money that they have to allocate further down the line for younger players, um, for younger players who are going to command just as much money on the open market because of their unique skill sets. I loved Phil. Like Phil was, he was the kind of player that this market seems to really, really enjoy. He, he reminded me a lot of Placanich in the sense that he was just, he was annoying to play against. He was a shutdown center. It seems like Montreal has had a good run of having at least one of those on the team for any given time, but they didn't really do a ton to, at least, you know, it's still early. There's still some time left in the offseason, I suppose, but they haven't really done much to replace him adequately. It's either, you know, we're either hoping that Kotkaniemi is able to turn into that shutdown center. Evans just steps up and becomes that guy immediately, which he he can probably do it by committee with a few other guys. I don't know if he can necessarily take that all on his own. Or we're hoping that Ryan Paling is able to step out of the AHL and become an effective two-way center immediately. I, I and you know maybe this isn't a direct answer to the question. I still think there's a there's there's another shoe that we're waiting to drop for Mark Bergevin. He every summer he makes one really really big move. He hasn't done it yet. And I feel like we're just waiting on something. I wonder if the Eichel trades, trade rumors, I don't know how how into that the Canadians are, but I wonder if that's holding up sort of the center market out there. And that's why Montreal wasn't really able to add much down the middle. They'll miss Phil, like you said. I would have liked to keep him, but not at any price. And there's one more 
player that is a big loss, even though it didn't seem like it would be when they first signed him. And that's Corey Perry. Question, Ian, is he dead to you or do you wish him the best? <laughs> it's going to be tough. I, I do wish him the best, but I know after approximately two shifts in the first game against Tampa Bay, we're all going to hate him again. Um, and that's, and that's really a testament to what he is as a, as a player. He's at this stage in his career, he's sort of turned into a mercenary, which is, I think fits him really well for what he does. He's going to show up. He's going to pot 10 goals in a season, maybe, but he's going to be really, really annoying to play against. I wouldn't really want it any other way. I don't really want him to not to show up at the bell center and like, take it easy on these guys. Like I want him to be that player. I'll miss him. He was cool. It was, it was the Corey Perry experience was cool, especially because he didn't really, you know, go full drinking out of the toilet. Corey Perry on us. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we're going to move on to some additions to the Montreal Canadiens. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked on. That's betonline.ag, or you can use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Do you know 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sportsbook that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You're in total control. Stat Hero's DFS the way it was meant to be one-on-one. Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. stathero.com slash locked on. And we are here with our guest, Ian Boisvert, and we are breaking down what happened in the offseason so far, and we shared our thoughts on who the Canadians have lost, or the major losses, and we are now going to, we didn't mention Tatar, but I think that was a pretty, uh, that's kind of a one-for-one replacement. Let's get to the additions. I think we should start with Mike Hoffman, who was clearly brought in to replace the loss of Tatar. And what our thoughts are on this. My one thought with this is because someone asked me about this is that is Mike Hoffman going to be a full on replacement and a lot like David Savard partially, but not fully on the power play. Mike Hoffman is going to put this team in a much better situation. That's his strength. And that's where he's always been very good at five on five. uh, I really hope they are not expecting him to be a full on replacement because there was a lot of frustration to be had there in that regard. It's up, uh, like Laura and I have said, it's up to the coaching staff to utilize him in the best way possible. But I do think Mark Bergman gets his man again, like he always does at some point. 
And it does help fix something that probably cost them a fair bit or could have cost them a fair bit in the playoffs because their power play just, it, it, it wasn't good when it needed to be, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, it, you know, especially on that power play, it adds another shooting threat with, especially with Weber gone, you know, it can't just be everyone staring at Cole Caulfield. You know, a lot of times I've seen Cole Caulfield play for Team USA and when he's the only shooting threat out there, it's pretty easy to neutralize them as with any other power play, really. So, you know, it adds another shooting threat, but agreed, like losing Tatar is going to really hurt the team's five on five play. He really drives play. Well, it's, it's something that I think the Canadians, the Canadians fans in large don't really realize that they're going to miss all that much. Two thirds of one of the best lines in the NHL is gone in, in, you know, Tatar and Deno with uh, Brennan Gallagher, but you know, goals are important. The Canadians, you know, for years, we said that they, these guys can't score. And now they're in one off season, they added to Foley and the next year they're adding Hoffman, a guy who just scores goals. It's, it's, it's why he earns the money he earns. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it works. It, it, they need to find the right fit for him, obviously. But I think if, if he's a bit of a drag five on five, it might be a little hard for fans to stomach. But if he scores two power play goals in, in like a period, everyone's going to forget about it. It's what have you done for me lately, right? Um, so we've got a couple more, the Quebec faction. <laughs> they've added Matthew Perrault. They've added David Savard. They've added Cedric Paquette. And this, to me, I feel like it seems like something that the Canadians wanted to do in response to a lot of the criticism that they received back when Jonathan Drouin was on long-term injured reserve and Philippe Dano couldn't go for a couple of games. And to me, I don't think that it's that big of an issue. I personally like that there are players on this team that are so excited to be here because it was their childhood dream. And I think that the thinking there was kind of how, you know, how Corey Perry was a, was a Canadian fan as a kid. And, you know, he really brought it when he was signed for minimum. And I feel like that's kind of what's what, what the, the thinking was, was there is that these guys are really going to step it up in Montreal. And I personally, I, I like these additions. I don't think that they transform the team in any way. I think that they're fun for fans. I think that it's going, like fans are going to love watching these guys put on that sweater and, and give it their all out there. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, like I'm from Connecticut. So like my whole relationship with the, we need to have Francophones on the team is sort of, it's, it, it's not the same. I, I have a respect for that. I understand why that's important. If you're going to do it, this is a pretty cool way of doing it. You signed Savard to a really palatable contract. It's not bad. Um, we were kind of expecting it to be worse with the way that people were throwing money at defense from this summer. But, you know, especially the Paquette and Perot signings, like they, they don't hurt you. They're good depth options. The expectations for those players isn't to go out there and stand in the offensive zone and cycle the puck for a shift and then get off. They're going to be role players. That's fine. It's always cool when guys come home to play for their hometown team. It's a really cool human element to this, to the sport. I don't, I don't have any sort of qualms with any of those signings. I kind of like them. the Matthew Perot one is a fun bit to me because it's super cheap. He's still very effective at what he does. And it's like him and Savard are like, extremely excited to be here. Savard said he took less money to sign with Montreal because the minute they got a message about that, they're like, that's what we're doing. Didn't ask any other questions and no, he's not a full replacement, but when you get someone who wants to be here like that, like Corey Perry did last year, you get the best version of that player, I think. And 
I'm really intrigued to see what they do in front of the home fans. I mean, Matthew Perot always seems to play well against Montreal in whatever uh, team he was playing for. And David Savard, I mean, he's been linked to the Habs before, like Mike Hoffman has. Sooner or later, they all come back. I'm, I'm intrigued to see that these guys who, you know, this is probably, you know, last contract, last, you know, maybe one of the last contracts for Perot and Savard. They want to go out as high as they can right there. And I think playing in front of their home fans is going to be that like Corey Perry was last year. It's exciting to see that is that it's a fun depth ad. It's just, I I keep thinking that this team needs another center for the love of God. And I'll feel a lot better. Like last year where their big move was Josh Anderson and I was not enthused. And then they went and got Tyler to So I think they are relatively close to having it all put back together, at least right now with what they've added so far. I, I have to agree. And, and so we've got a fun listener question that we kind of postponed to uh, this episode because we wanted to, you know, spend a segment on it. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first, Ian, let me ask you, do you know who powers every single podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network? I do because I listen to every podcast on the <laughs> Locked On Podcast Network. That's Bilt Bar. <laughs> it's built bar and you know why it's because they are so full of protein that it gives us so much energy they've got 18 delicious flavors they're all low in sugar low in calorie made with real chocolate and high in protein which is the most important thing and let me ask you this ian do you think that protein bars should taste like sand and should have a toothpaste texture <laughs> i would hope not that sounds awful <laughs> Exactly. Do you know what doesn't taste like sand or have a toothpaste texture is Built Bar. They're soft. They're easy to chew. They're literally a treat. And even if you don't go on hikes like Scott does, like most of most of the time I'm working at my desk. But if I lose energy during the day, I will go and grab a Built Bar or a Built Bite and it will boost me because it tastes like a treat but it's got protein and it really, really helps me break through that wall. So if you want to try Built Bar, I'm going to, this is, this is a fun test. If you go to builtbar.com and enter promo code LOCKED15, what happens, Ian? I believe you get 15% off. Exactly. See, this is like my favorite kind of guest is people who know us so well and they know that Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a treat and that you can go to builtbar.com, enter our promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. So as we said on our Friday episode, we did get a question from longtime listener, Zach, who just joined Twitter to follow along with us. And if you guys want to find us on Twitter, we're at LO underscore Canadians. And he had a question about um, the about Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. And his question is, how many points do you think the two kids get next season and what do you project their next contracts to be how much do you think they'll sign for they seem like team first kind of players i see them both taking hometown discounts in the future so let's first talk about what we expect them to do next season i think nick suzuki is going to be expected to shoulder a lot now that Philippe deno is gone and they did find a lot of magic when they played nick suzuki with cole caulfield so i feel like for at least most of the season, the fortunes of one are kind of going to uh, depend on the fortunes of the other. So I don't know. Do, I, I, do you see them taking a step forward next season, given that there's an 82 game and they'll be given more responsibility? I see them as a combo the, between the two of them. Like if it's if it's just them and they're not really getting a ton of help from the third guy on their, their line, 
you're looking maybe at like 55 points in a bad season for Suzuki. I'm I'm like Caulfield. I just don't see how he's, his scoring slows down at all. Like they were matching him up in the playoffs against really tough matchups. He was still scoring goals. Like the kid just knows what he's doing when he, when he gets near the net. I I, I don't want to put a jinx on him or anything, but it, it seems like this kid can score 30 goals rolling out of bed. Like it just, it just seems like he's that kind of player that's going to just skate into 30 goals, regardless of who he's playing with, how much ice time he's getting in a, in an 82 game season. That seems realistic. But I think if they find a third part of a, a third player for that line, that really, really melts, maybe that's Jonathan Drew. And we know he had chemistry with Suzuki in the bubble. Maybe it's Toffoli. They put him on just like we saw in the playoffs before Toffoli kind of, you know, the wheels fell off because of, of injuries he was playing through. While while we're looking at the two of them as a unit, I'm I'm really intrigued to see who they put next to them. Um, I think that's going to tell us a lot about one what that line is being told to do, and and two it's going to show us what their production is going to look like. But the two of them together are dynamite. Still, like it's it doesn't really matter who they put next to them, but it can really boost them if they find the right winger to put with those two. So I kind of have a question as you were talking, I thought about this and it's essentially this is, we know that this duo is going to be very important for the offense. And we know that the other team's toughest matchups, you know, they're going to play their toughest players against these two teams, these two players to defend them. So who do you put on the wing, on the other wing? Do you put somebody who's a playmaker or do you put somebody who's, who's good at putting the puck in the net, like a Hoffman or something? because the defense is going to be focused or the defensive play is going to be focused on Suzuki and Caulfield and the other guy is going to be able to get around it or the other way around, right? Like on Suzuki and the other guy, and then Caulfield is going to be able to skate through people's legs or like around them or something. Like I, I, I always wonder, like, do you get somebody who can generate place for both of these guys or do you get somebody who's literally going to score because nobody else is going to notice them or have energy to be able to like defend against them? It's such a weird combination, especially on that line, because you have Caulfield, who is, is like it's, it's a spectrum that you have Caulfield, who is this elite goal scoring winger. And you have Suzuki in the middle there, who's a very good playmaker and a very good goal scorer. Do you go and add another like goal score? Do you put Hoffman on that other wing and hope it works and run them defensively? Do you get them like a two-way winger, like a, someone like a Brendan Gallagher, or see if Jonathan Drouin's playmaking is still up to par there? It's it's the most intriguing line on the team right now because it's the most flexible on how they want to establish it. And I'm very curious what they do because if they're going to lean on Caulfield, they need to probably not put a Hoffman to Foley on that line so they can spread their goal scoring out because then otherwise teams are just going to hone in on them and – uh, Caulfield, despite as well as he played in the playoffs, 82 games of having dudes just target you over and over again is probably not the uh, best thing for his goal scoring talents. I, I think they learned a lot about how good he can be and where his flaws are it. And we know how good Nick Suzuki is. It's just so curious. What do you do on that line? Is it Lekkanen? Is it Armia? Is it Matthew Perot for all we know? Like what? what are the Canadians going to do? And I think they have options because they've got 7 million wingers right now. So eventually they'll find something that works uh, through training camp in the preseason. Yeah, the concept of putting Leckett in there is really fun. Um, he's just, <laughs> he's just a worker bee. Like he's just, he's going to go into the corner and, and try to get the puck out. Um, he's, he's very good at getting pucks to the net. Um, I don't know 
what that does necessarily for his playmaking, but I like him there. Armia is an outside chance. Like he's a big body that the rest of that line isn't particularly big. Um, he's also kind of slick. I feel like every time I come on this show, I, I talk about how much I love you all Armia. Um, but I, I do like the guy just, he's big. And the more the guys seem to come after him, they seem to bounce off and he gets stronger. He'd be a really fun option for that line. I really do think that the, the, the linchpin here is, is Jonathan Druin. Who do we see when we come to camp? If, if he shows up and it looks like he's going to be a difference maker, I think he's the guy they put on that line. I think that's fair. All right. So let's kind of turn our attention because we're, we, we were talking about Kotkaniemi earlier in this episode and uh, both Scott and I kind of predict that there's going to be a bridge deal with Kotkaniemi because the team doesn't seem hundred percent sold on him being able to reach his potential. And he himself has said that he needs to be better uh, I personally think that he's capable of a lot and a lot of the fan base is kind of underestimating him or devaluing him a little bit based on his developing development struggles. So thoughts, Ian, do you think he's going to get uh, like a bigger contract or is it going to be a shorter bridge deal and allow him to prove himself and maybe get a bigger payday at the end? I feel like if you're caught in Emmy, you probably want the bridge deal. Um, you don't think that you've, you've shown exactly what you are. If I was caught in Emmy, I wouldn't want to get myself into a contract that was eight years long at like $4 million because by year five, maybe I'm vastly underpaid. Um, it, maybe the Canadians want to try to do that, get him locked up long-term under a very low cap hit. Um, but I think you're right. I think we haven't seen we've, we we haven't seen most of the iceberg when it comes to Kotkaniemi. Like he's he shows us flashes of what he can be. I also and I I hate playing this card because I feel like we play it with every young player that that plays with this team. But can we get him some consistent teammates or line mates for more than a week and a half? Like it seems like every week we were talking about Kotkaniemi playing with new players. Um, and that wasn't the case for, say, Caulfield, who got glued to Suzuki and they stuck with them for months. Um, you know, it's 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 something that I feel like they, they should be learning from some of the development issues they've had in the past. But even through all that, Kakinami still shines. He still is a very effective player. Um, you know, he's he's still a really big body and he's still like. I, I hate saying this too. He looks really like he doesn't look like he's built it. Like he's, he's filled into his body yet. Um, <laughs> he's still like, he, he's very lanky. I'd like to see him put on maybe a, a little bit more just because like, it just doesn't look like he's in full control yet. Um, and I think he'll get there. Like he, he's, he definitely shows us flashes of him being a really, really effective center. I think we also have to remember that like he just turned 21. Like <laughs> there's, there's still a lot of time for this player to figure it out. Yeah. And the thing that I find is that there's some factions of this fan base that as soon as you say he's 21, they say, okay, but he's been here for three years. And then as soon as you say he's had so many line uh, line mates and they'll say something like, well, a true pro will be able to play with anybody. And I, I don't think that's true because the thing is, Jesperi Kotkaniemi made this the, the NHL team while he wasn't developed yet. And, and, and so, you know, even the way that he skates is kind of his gait is very awkward. And like you said, he hasn't fully filled in yet. So he doesn't look you know, like a, a Yoel Armia, when you look at him, he looks effective on the ice, right? Kot Kinyemi is not that guy, but I do think that he does have flashes of brilliance. It's just, it doesn't visually, it's not very appealing. So I do think that, you know, he's, he's definitely 
better served with a bridge deal so that he can prove what he's got. But at the same time, it's, it's not like, I don't think the team should coddle him. And I feel like people confuse this. Like when we say he should have some consistent line mates. Yeah. We should be able to see what he's got, like all things being equal. And that's the problem is that all things are never equal with him. They just keep changing the, the circumstances. And so, you know, I feel like he needs a little bit of consistency in terms of what the team can do. And they don't need to coddle him. They just, they literally just need to play him with the same two guys for a little while to see how it goes. And then like, if they change it to two other guys, give that a chance to develop. Like that's the only thing that we're asking. We don't think that they need to handhold him. Like he seems very, very intent on stepping up and doing his best and doing what it takes. Uh, so in the meantime, like people don't have these questions about guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. Nick Suzuki, definitely like the way that he approaches things is so intense. And he, you know, he won that spot out of training camp and he never let it go. And he really stepped it up. And, you know, he's been playing like a first line center, even though technically the team considered him the second line center because they had the Gallagher line as the first line. I do you see how quickly I've forgotten Philippe Deneau already like the Gallagher line <laughs> um, but uh it's definitely like I feel like Nick Suzuki people don't question him even when he's had you know in, the, in his second year he had a little bit of a slump during the regular season and he and he himself said you know I wasn't playing my best and all of that but also the entire team wasn't doing very well and Nick Suzuki was one of the only guys that other teams were defending against so really like people don't really have those questions about him and they also don't have those questions about Cole Caulfield unless they're Leafs fans and they keep trying to insist that this guy is going to fail when he's clearly in his first season that wasn't even his rookie season has been one of the most important players on the team and the most effective like I feel like there's no question marks about that so their deals after their entry-level deals are going to be a lot harder to negotiate I think yeah and we've we've got time on Caulfield he's not he's up for in a little bit but the Suzuki one they they're I think they'd be better off starting those conversations sooner rather than later. Yeah. My, my thought is Suzuki gets done as soon as they're able to do so. And I think that's after a certain point in this upcoming season, now that he's on the last year of his contract, I think that gets announced within this year. And I think that as opposed to Kotkaniemi, which I think the bridge deal is best for the team and the player. I think Suzuki's getting inked long-term and Mark Bergman's getting that one sealed away as soon as possible because he that's one that you don't want to play around with someone coming in with an offer sheet or anything like that. Just get it done and just put that in your back pocket and not worry about it because we know if it doesn't happen right away, it's going to dominate the headlines all next offseason. And quite frankly, no one really wants to go through all that, so... Yeah. And especially since we expect there to be a management change and like, you don't want it to start off on a, on a, on, a, on the wrong foot, essentially, you don't want it to start off with bad blood. And, you know, I think the, the two players that we're talking about, Nick Suzuki and, and Cole Caulfield are going to be the most important players on this team. If they reach their potential, like they're going to be the biggest players on this team. And so you can't mess that up. You can't alienate them. And just look at, I, I know part of it is 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 you have to have success as a team, right? So we're, when I'm saying just look at Jack Eichel, part of it is also like the lack of success that Buffalo has had, but also the way the organization treats you is extremely important. It's the same thing with Vladimir Tarasenko, who wants out of St. Louis. He feels that his injuries were mismanaged. Jack Eichel feels like his, his health is being mismanaged by the Buffalo Sabres. And so like, I think that relationship is very important. And, you know, you can be a star player, and not necessarily be, 
you know, be too demanding, but I think like basic things like basic respect, basic, basic, I, I, I think it's not just respect, but also like care, like in terms of your health, but also like your team can't devalue you, you know, as much as, as much as you think it's good business practice to kind of devalue somebody so that you can pay them less, like that's not going to work with guys like Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield who are going to be very hard to replace, not completely irreplaceable, but you can't just find them on the open market. Agreed. And so I think that's kind of, I'm, I'm sorry, we didn't fully answer your question, Zachary. We didn't give you some hard numbers for those contracts, but I think we're all kind of in agreement about how important that is going to be for the future. And in that vein, uh, Ian, you are one of the most important players on our team. And I want to thank you for your time. And please tell the nice people where they can find your Twitter, your writing, and your podcasting. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. Uh, find I'm the managing editor at Rabbit Habs at Rabbit Habs on Twitter. Um, taking a little bit of break for the summer, but should be back in the fall. I'll do some some post game recaps um, and lots of other fun stuff to other podcasts. Not even my own. Uh, the Montreal Bias is a great Canadian centered podcast. Um, and my podcast, which we get to it when we get to it, certainly not as regular as your guys's, but um, at Nosebleeds Cast, uh, you can follow us there for some fun stuff. And if I may plug one more thing. Um, Hockey Newsletter is a fun project that I do every few months um, or every few weeks um, with some friends. We write, it's it's basically just dumb stuff about hockey. I think the last thing I wrote about was how the Ducks had the worst power play in recorded NHL history. Um, it's so. a good newsletter. I, I can absolutely vouch as a su- subscriber from day one. I can vouch for the content. It's really fun. I think that's it. It's fun. It's, it's a fun hockey newsletter. Uh, and so I will recommend that. And if you want to find us, we are at LO underscore Canadians. You can also email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. You'll find me on Twitter at The Active Stick. You'll find Scott on Twitter at Scott Matla. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this podcast, please check out Crosscheck NHL, which is hosted by Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. And they talk about the biggest issues in hockey twice a week. And now they're doing a off season long, a season preview for every single team with all the hosts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. So you really, really want to check them out. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you on Wednesday.